Welcome to the Calvary Assembly Podcast with weekly messages from Calvary Assembly of God Church in Lexington, Nebraska. You can find out more online at lexag.org and on Facebook at Calvary Assembly Lex. Thanks for listening. Um, So I'm going to ask Amy to come up and we're going to conclude our series on relationships this morning. And we call it What Happy Couples Know. And this isn't something we do all the time. So if you're new with us, we don't always preach about relationships. Almost fell off. uh, We we do this once a year because we believe families are important. We believe families are the building block of society. Uh, But more than that, guys, God believes that families are important. And so that's why once a year we, we focus on this because... It's something that we need in the church, and so it's something we need in our society. So uh, we've been talking about what happy couples know. This is some things we found from North Point Church, a couple other books we're going to mention today as we go through here, uh, because again, we're not pros, but we're, we're working on it, and so all of you are working on relationships, whether you're married now, whether you hope to be married someday, whether you have been married, or maybe you never want to be married again, uh, God puts us in people's lives for a reason. And so I know some of you say, well, I'm a widow, I'm a widower, I don't, I don't have a spouse, but God can put you in people's lives to speak into their lives, to speak into their marriages. And I know many of you have, have poured into our lives, and many older folks, we come up and say, hey, how did you do this? How did you navigate this? Because uh, we're all going through uncharted territory, right? And so we've, um, we've been talking to a lot of families that have kids leaving the house. We have our first one leaving this fall, and so we've had... Hey, here's how to deal with that. Here's what you can do with the room when they're, I'm kidding. No, not, not that. Her brother's already been measuring her bedroom for when she leaves. So get his stuff in there. Um, so, you know, we all, we help one another. And so we've learned a couple of things over the last few weeks. Uh, we've learned that we all bring hopes and dreams and um, desires into relationships. And when we bring those in, sometimes our spouse feels like they were What? expectations. And those expectations can feel heavy sometimes. It's a natural thing to do. We all bring those in. Uh, Some of these come from things we've experienced in life. Some of them come from things that we hope to never experience again in life. Some of those are things that we've seen and we want. And so those are all things we bring in. We've said that um, happy couples know that we owe our spouse everything, but our spouse owes us nothing. We owe them everything, but they owe us nothing. And when both of us do that, when I owe Amy everything, but I expect nothing in return, when she owes me everything, expects nothing in return, what happens? You have a pretty incredible marriage, don't you? Because you're giving, you're putting your spouse first over your own wants and desires. So we've also learned that that Christian marriage is a submission competition is what we called it. We are both trying to submit, mutually submit to one another. Because when I put her needs first above my own, I focus on making her happy. And when she does that with me, you get this incredible cycle of loving one another as Christ loves the church, as submitting to one another. And so we say that we race each other to the back of the line. We race to serve each other first, right? And last week, two weeks ago, we talked about praying honest prayers. Is how many of your spouse is going to irritate you at some point, right? They're going to drive you crazy. They can drive you more crazy than any other person on the planet because they're the closest to you. And so we said that in marriage, we need to pray for our spouse. We need to intercede for our spouse. 
Because how many know the enemy is going to attack your family? He's going to come at you hard if you're a Christian couple. And we know people watch us as a Christian couple. So we need to pray for our spouse. And the best thing that you can give your kids, the best thing you can give your grandkids is a godly marriage to look at. So today we're going to talk about the happy choice. Oh, <laughs> Amy could be really loud, but she needs a microphone. Sorry about that. <laughs> She's like, are you going to let me talk? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I can be loud if I need to. This is mic two, guys. Sorry, mic two. So today we're going to look at the choice. We said it's a choice. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture that many of us read at our weddings. We're, we, many of us have put on our walls. Many of us have little cards with it. We give our spouse these cards. Uh, we're going to really dig into 1 Corinthians 13, what we call the love chapter here in just a minute. We're going to talk about a choice that couples make today. Um, and so in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, which is a church made up of Gentiles. Gentiles mean they were not Jewish. They didn't come from the Jewish nation. And so that's the vast majority of us here today, the vast majority of us watching online. Uh, I want to welcome our Spanish church family. Thank you for being here with us today. So happy to have you guys. Uh, these guys are amazing. And uh, we're so glad to have you with us. So Paul had to give these new Gentile Christians some background on the God they served, okay? So people in Corinth, it was a Roman community, and the Romans had lots of gods they served. Now, the Roman gods were totally different than the God that we serve because they didn't care about people. The gods that they served didn't care about humans. Humans were just there to serve them. They took from them. They used them. Sometimes they, they made fun of them. They played with them. They toyed with them. And so Paul was saying, this God that you serve now loves you, and he cares for you. And in this Gentile culture, if you wanted to serve your God, you had to do things for them. You had to offer sacrifices to show that you were a great follower of, of Zeus or Epaphrodite or these different ones. You did things for them, right? Paul said, this God that you serve loves you, and to show others that you love him, you don't serve this way all the time. You serve this way. The way that you show that you love Jesus is you serve one another. Okay, no, I don't that sink in for me. He wasn't just talking about marriage. He was saying in life we serve one another. But especially in marriage. If you want to show that you're a Christian couple, you do that by what? Serving one another. Loving one another. And so um, really this was a passage written about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And especially our spouses in Christ, or our boyfriends and our girlfriends in Christ. And so Paul shows in this passage that if I want to show people that I'm godly, I don't just come bring a word for Jesus for them. What do I do? I love them. Before, just a side note, this is one of my pet peeves. Before I go out and show people how godly I am by being using gifts of the Spirit, I better do it through loving and serving through the fruit of the Spirit. Well, I got really quiet. Um, so, you know, I can say that I'm spiritually deep and I can use a lot of big Christian lingo, but to really see how I love Jesus, look how I serve other people. I tell kids when they go on dates, <laughs> when you go on a date, look at how the person you're on a date with treats the waiting staff. Look how they treat their parents. Look how they treat their siblings. Find out, you can't look, but find out how they act in the locker room. Don't go walking into the locker room because that would be weird and 
you suspended. But look how they treat other people. Because the way I treat others, the way I treat my spouse, shows how much I love Jesus. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so, <laughs> so I'll let Amy take over here. Well, and I would say with that, um, <clears throat> I was at a bridal shower this weekend, and one of the questions was really like, when did you fall in love with, your, with this other person? And so, you know, when you're at those things, you kind of think about it. And so, you know, really going back to what he said, what I would say is when I realized who he was, when he wasn't around me. And I will tell anybody that ever asks, I'm like, what you see here is what you see at home. This temperament, that's what you see at home. You know, and that's really important. And I remember asking, my brother lived across the hall, which actually my brother's the one that told me I was marrying my husband before I met him. Um, But that's one of the things is I said, well, why do you think that he's the one for me? And he said, because what you see walking around campus is what I see every day in the dorms and how he serves outside around campus and in class and in ministry is how I see him serving in the dorms. And so that really was that thing that was like, that's, that was my God moment to go, okay, yeah, this is the one. And so that really is important to watch how we serve. And I remember being out to eat one time and we had a horrible waitress and she, you could just tell she was flustered and just having a bad day. And I remember Rex saying, it's okay. Like we're not in a hurry. It's fine. You know, and I remember just seeing that patience. And so that is something really important to watch and encourage if you're not married or if you're dating somebody like watch that because you want that person to treat others with respect. Because if they don't treat others with respect, they're not going to treat you with respect. Yeah. I remember we were on a missions trip while we were dating uh, right as we started dating, we went on a mission trip together. And I remember, I, I, I liked her. I thought she was really pretty. We worked together in security. Um, she was a dispatcher, and I was a security guard in, on campus. But I remember we were on this mission trip, and we were in Arizona, and we all thought, hey, we're going to Arizona. It's going to be warm. So we all packed shorts. <laughs> we went to the mountains of Arizona, and it snowed while we were there. And I remember we were doing a VBS in this church, and the, the fellowship hall got really muddy because, you know, it was all just dirt, and it got mud tracked in there, and so we got done. We were all tired. We all went back to our separate rooms, and I went back. I thought, I'm going to go back and help clean up a little bit for the next day. Amy was already in there mopping the floor. Nobody else was around. I was like, this woman's amazing. Like, I need to marry that girl, you know, and so that was the moment I fell in love with her, because it was that stuff that she did behind the scenes to serve others. I said, she really does love Jesus, so look for that, If you're dating somebody or you're interested in somebody, don't look at the outward. Look and see how they treat others. Because we're going to read here in just a moment. That's what Paul says is how you really show love for Jesus. So, sorry, didn't want to interrupt her. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7 says, If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understand all of God's secret plans and, po- and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So did you catch that word there? Paul says, if I can do all this stuff, but I don't love the people around me, I am what? Nothing. 
Nothing. That's a big word, guys. Nothing. So if I show people I buy my spouse a lot of big fancy things, but I don't love her behind the scenes, what am I? Nothing, right? Guys, this is so important. That's why I'm really going to take a moment to focus on this passage. Paul said, you can be used to give a prophecy or a message in tongues, but if you don't love the people around you, you're nothing. Paul was, it got really quiet, but Paul was really showing these guys, you're used to doing these big outward things, but if you don't love the people around you, your faith isn't doing anything. And this is what we bring into our relationships. So, sorry. So as I read the rest of this, I want you to think this is another thing I heard this weekend, and it really stood out. And I was like, oh, I'm going to use that on Sunday. But as I read these, put your name in every place where it says love. Put your name as if you're reading this to your spouse. Um, Thank you, Caleb and Jackie, for giving me some sermon (laughs) points here with your shower. Um, So think about this, though, um, as I read it. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does, it does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So this is a great reminder that if we want to see how someone really lives out their faith, we really need to watch how they are with their family and their friends. And that's so true, not even if you're just dating somebody, but just in your friendships and your relationships every day. You know, putting in that Amy is patient and kind. I mean, sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that. So just reading that and putting your name in where that word love is will change not only marriages, but friendships and relationships, work environments. I mean, I thought about that. I'm like, I'm going to type this up with my name and I'm going to put it on my computer because that's so important to remember in just everyday life. Um, There's one line in here that doesn't make sense to us today. It's being totally dependent on us as opposed to the other person. Paul says that love always trusts. And that's a hard one sometimes. Trust is hard. It's hard to get, but it's very easy to lose. And so that's something that's really hard sometimes for us to really be able to fully understand. So Paul's given us some really practical advice on how we live this out. But then he drops this word, always trusts. Or some of your translations reading says always believes. And so this, guys, is the keystone choice for a happy couple. If you want to have a happy marriage, a godly marriage, a godly relationship with your significant other until you're married, you have to believe. You have to trust. And this is not just blind trust. This isn't, well, I don't know what happened to all that money, but okay. I mean, this is, when Paul says always trust, it literally means believes everything or always believes So basically what Paul is saying is, I'm going to believe the best in my spouse. I'm going to believe the best explanation, the most generous explanation for what they're doing. So in other words, if you come home and your spouse was supposed to vacuum the house and they did, and you say, oh, you're so lazy. What did you do? We're going to look for the best explanation. I'm sure something happened that caused you not to be able to do that today. So is it okay? Okay. So... 
So I remember he we has were the young. Best explanation. I have the best story. So when we were young and just married, we'd been married about three years. So we were still, you know, we were really happily married. But Amy became pregnant. First child. I had no idea what hormones were going to do to a person when they became pregnant. <laughs> I was shocked. I had been told this, but I'd never seen it up close. So I remember she was like two months pregnant, I think, and she went to work. She was going to have a party at our house that night for some ladies in the church, and I was off that day. And she said, can you just vacuum the house for me? I said, sure, I'd be glad to do that. So I was young. I played video games, and she got off work, I think, at like 2, and the party was at like 6. And she came, I hadn't vacuumed yet because I was waiting until closer, so it would still have the pretty lines in the floor, right? (laughs) She came home. She's like, you didn't vacuum. I said, no, I'm going to do it. I still got time. And she lost it. She cried. She said, you don't love me at all. <laughs> what? So we've been married three years. You know I love you. I tell you every day, if you don't vacuum, you don't love me. Instead of saying, why haven't you vacuumed yet? And I could have said, because I want the nice lines in the carpet for you. Because <laughs> we had, it was that blue shag carpet that was really popular in the 80s, in our house in the 2000s still, because we were poor. And so I was trying to make it look as good as I could. And she lost her mind. I called a friend of mine that it, they had kids a year before us. So I said, did your wife totally lose her mind when she was pregnant? He said, yep, and it's only going to get worse. <laughs> and so <laughs> then it was okay, because then I explained it, and she was fine. But we have to believe the best, right? And so Paul says, you have to make this choice every single day. When we're married, or we're engaged to someone, or we're dating, and we're in love with them, we have to make this keystone choice every single day. So how do we apply this to our lives and our marriages well, the first thing is we have to understand the expectation gap. What is the expectation gap? Well, we know that we said we bring hopes, desires, and dreams into our relationship, and eventually those become expectations. How many of you know I expect one thing, and sometimes I get something else? Yeah. You ever been there? There's this gap in between those. So I expected my spouse to do this, and they did this. So I had this gap. What do I do with that gap? That's the choice we have to make, the choice to expect or believe the best about our spouse. So in that gap, I could believe the worst. I could say, well, they just don't care about me, or they, they wanted to do this, or they're so selfish, or they're just lazy. Or I can believe the best. There was a good reason they didn't do that. And guys, when we figured this out in our marriage, it was an absolute game changer. Because I never believed bad things about her, but sometimes I'd let that creep in. And sometimes same way with her. She'd believe, you don't love me because you didn't vacuum. Or you don't love me because you didn't pay this bill on time. Or you don't love me because you allowed my car to run out of gas and didn't tell me. Or, you know, whatever it was. Instead of believing the worst, we believe the best. So every time there's a gap, we have a choice. We believe the worst or we believe the best. And guys, this is not, I'm not talking about abuse. If they hit you, there is no good explanation. If they treat you poorly, repeatedly, there's not a good explanation. You need to get counseling. You need to figure something out. I'm talking about little things. The little things, because the little things are what pile up in marriage, aren't they? Most of us don't say, I'm going to ruin my marriage by stealing a car and going to Mexico. We don't do that. We ruin our marriage by not paying attention to our spouse every day. We ruin our marriage by lying or by doing these things. So we have to learn to believe the best in it, okay? So the happy couples, the happiest couples, make the choice to believe the best every single day. So 
We have to make a daily choice to believe the most generous explanation. This is a word Andy Stanley uses, and I love it. The most generous explanation. So in 2005, this guy named Marcus Buckingham wrote a book called The One Thing You Need to Know. And he studied a whole bunch of couples over 20 years in the U.S. and Europe and Canada. And these are couples who have been married a specific amount of time and had a really good relationship, as in they still enjoyed being together. They weren't just grinding it out for the kids. They really enjoyed being together. And they said, what's, what's the best thing that you can tell us, the best thing that tells us how you have this great marriage? And so the, the expectation that he had when he went into this was they lowered their expectations. They've been happily married this long because they lowered the explanation. They said their expectations, we're just going to get through this. I don't expect much of my spouse. I dropped those hopes, dreams, and desires and just said, I'm just happy that they don't kill me in my sleep kind of thing, right? But you know what the real reason was? They had an unrealistically positive view of their spouse. An unrealistically positive view of their spouse. They believed the best. And guys, here's what happened. He, <laughs> he, calls, it, he calls it an unre- um, an upward spiral of love. You can write that down. Use it on your spouse. <laughs> I have an upward spiral of love for you. It's, <laughs> I'll say, Don't what did you drink it. in your coffee today, right? But what happened is, so they had this positive illusion of their spouse. They believed the best about their spouse. And you know what that caused? Trust. Because they said, I believe in this conviction. I have this conviction that I believe that you're doing the best. That led to security. That security led to this feeling of intimacy. And intimacy, the definition of intimacy is knowing and being known. That means I'm not holding things back from my spouse because I believe they have the best intentions. I believe that they love me. I believe that they are serving me to the very best of their ability. I believe they put my needs before their own. And that intimacy fostered love. Upward spiral of love. And so... This book wasn't necessarily a a marriage book. It was actually kind of a business book, you know, believe in the best in your business partner, but it works really well in relationships. And so every time there's a gap, every time my spouse doesn't meet the expectation I have for them, I have a choice to believe the worst or to believe the best. And if we make a daily choice to choose the best, to believe the best in our spouse, they notice that. And let me just throw one thing out. There's a book called um, by Shanti Feldham, I believe it was, and her husband. There's one called what, what, uh, For Men Only and one called For Women Only. Guys, these books are incredible. We went to a marriage encounter one time, or uh, Weekend to Remember is what they're called. If you ever get a chance, amazing, game-changing weekends. Uh, and we can help you get a discount through our church. It's called We Can Remember. They talked about these books. And in the books, one of the things it says to women is you need to understand that every man has doubts about their ability to be a husband. Every man in the universe. We say all the time, I'm not sure I'm good enough. We don't say it out loud. We say it to ourselves. Outside, we put on this, yeah, I can do anything, right? But on the inside, we all believe, am I really going to be good enough? Can I be a good enough dad? Can I be a good enough husband? And if, like, for instance, the vacuum thing, if you come home and your spouse hasn't done something you expect, and instead of saying, I can't believe you didn't do that. You were so lazy. If you just say, what happened? I know you intended to do this. What happened? And they explain it to you. It, you know what it does? It builds your spouse up. It builds your husband up. 
I came home and the kids were on top of the car. Why was that? Well, there was a mountain lion in the yard. I put them there to protect them. You know, what? <laughs> that wouldn't really help because they can jump. But you know what I'm saying? There's an expectation and they want to give you the explanation because there's usually a really good explanation. Men are very pragmatic. We go, I need to do this, so I do this and this and this and this and this, right? In order. Women, you know, it all melds together. There's a reason. So we need to do the best because the thing, one of the things men need the most from their spouse is respect. And when you believe the best in your husband, it creates respect. One of the things women need the most from their husbands is trust. They need to be able to trust their husband. And believing the best in your spouse, men, builds that trust, which creates that spiral of love. When I taught the high school, middle school, high school girls on Sunday night a couple months ago, I was talking to them about that, how, you know, what is it? Men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, it really is. Men are so compartmentized, you know, and they can move from this to this to this. When us, I mean, everything's all just a bowl of spaghetti. You know, if we're having a bad day, it's a bad day everywhere. We can't go to work and put on that smile or, you know. And the girls were just like, I was like, just wait. Someday you'll see it. You'll see it. So Men can literally think about nothing. When you ask your husband, what do you think about it? He says nothing. Literally, there's nothing going on. We can make blank space, and it is the most incredible thing in the world. Amy says, what do you think about when you're on the motorcycle? I say, nothing. It's awesome. I just... Women can't think of nothing. No. Mine's usually too many things to put it in words, like, all together. So, um, so what are some obstacles that we um, face? I lost my... Assuming, you know, what are some obstacles that we face through all of this? So, um, what do we experience? Sometimes we think about, well, they messed up. They're going to do it again. We just expect the worst. We do that with our children. We do that with our friends. We do that with our spouse. Well, if they messed up this time, they're going to probably mess up again. But we have to think about some of the things that we bring into our relationships and how that affects us and how that molds what we um, think about in marriage or in relationships. So we have to think about, like, nobody goes into a relationship with a blank slate. We all have a past. We all have something that's on that slate on that board, that no matter how many times we try to wipe it off or we try to forget about it, we still bring that into our relationship. Um, we, th- we have all those past experiences that somehow have affected us, whether it's positive, whether it's negative, you know, what is it? And that's what we try to, like, even tell our kids, like, the decisions that you make now affect your future. You know, we think legally, like, okay, you kind of have that clean slate until you turn 18 and then it stays on your record. It's not like that in your everyday life. Whatever you're doing at 15, 16 is going to really affect what you are as an adult and who you are. And that's something that's really hard because you think, oh, I'm young, but that's really important to know. And so that's really even speaking to, like, the teenagers and you that aren't married. Like, the decisions that you're making now will affect those decisions that you make in your future. And so we have to think about what else do we bring in? Our relationships with our parents. We bring that into our relationships. We put those expectations, good or bad, on each other. So, you know, if you had a dad that had a bad temper, then you're waiting for your husband to do the same. 
Or if you had a mom that consistently looked at things to criticize you, you expect that that's what your spouse is going to do. We think about the lies or the hurt or the things that were in our own homes growing up, and we kind of just expect that in our marriage. Well, we really need to talk about those things ahead of time or through our marriage, or sometimes it takes a while through your marriage, depending on what you've dealt with, to really get to it and figure out what is this going to be like. We always warn couples, like your first year of marriage is not always the best. I mean, you're bringing two worlds and they collide overnight, you know, and so we try to warn couples of that as we're doing premarital counseling. Like that first year you think, oh, it's going to be so great, but yet you're really trying to figure out what those expectations look like. So um, there's so many things that we bring in, and we just have to remember that, like, you know, we're both bringing in that, and it just takes a lot of conversation and a lot of talking, and we always joke, Rex always says in premarital counseling, he wants to cause fights, and usually young people look at us like, what? And we're like, the whole idea of premarital counseling is talking through the hard stuff before you're in your first year of marriage and trying to do it. So, um, go ahead. So... Like Amy was saying, we bring these things in. So even when you date someone before you're married, you bring a part of that person to your marriage with you, those experiences that you had, right? So if you dated someone who was really suspicious, you're going to wait for your spouse to be suspicious. If you date someone who treated you badly, we bring those expectations into marriage with us. And so we have to, we have to look at those things. And so something that, that Andy Stanley said that I really like, um, in a, a message he did one time, he said, suspicion is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I come into marriage and I expect the worst out of my spouse or through marriage and things happen, I start expecting the worst out of my spouse. You know what I start doing? I start looking for that stuff. And so if Amy's saying, I'm just waiting for you to blow it, kid. I'm just waiting for you to screw up so I can jump on you. You know what I'm doing? I'm terrified that I'm going to mess up. And so it starts making it harder, and she's watching and saying, oh, there it is. I knew it was going to happen. Or if I do the same thing, you know, I expect her to mess up, and so I wait for her to mess up, and then I pounce on her. She's going to mess up because I'm looking for those things. But if I turn out and I'm looking for the best in her, that's what I'm going to find. If I expect the best from her, that's what I'm going to find. And guys, your spouse is going to let you down a lot because they're human, we're all people. We're all trying to do this. So, uh, so Paul gives some advice on how to make that choice daily. And he does this in uh, verses 6 and 7 in 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to go through it really quickly because we're almost done here. But he says that every time we have this choice, right? We said every time there's a gap, I have the choice to believe the best or believe the worst. So if I'm looking at believing the best, in verse 6, Paul says, Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be still. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For I know in part, and I prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And so up here in these passages in verse 4, it says, It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor honors, it's others. <laughs> it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. I'm sorry, Kathleen, I'm going really fast. It keeps no records of wrongs. And look in verse 6. It does not delight in evil but it rejoices with the truth. If I'm going to make this choice, I don't delight when my spouse messes up, but I rejoice when she does great. I'm not looking for them to blow it. So it says it never gives up. It doesn't allow suspicion to sneak into the relationship. 
right? It never loses faith. It chooses to trust, and it believes that generous explanation. It's always hopeful. It always stays positive. Believing that better days in your marriage are coming, it endures through every circumstance. It's determined to trust. So do I immediately go to the negative, or do I believe the best? And so this is what I'm asking you guys today. Over the next week, I want you to take every time there's a gap, and there will be gaps, look for the best. Believe the most generous explanation for your spouse. Believe that they're doing their best. So we can either look for the best or we can assume the worst. What does this look like if I'm assuming the worst? I delight in uncovering mistakes. I thrive on speculation. I can assume the worst and I can embrace doubt and jealousy. Have you guys ever been in a relationship with someone who's jealous? Is that fun? It's a nightmare. Because they're always waiting to pounce on you. They're always trying to find something wrong. You ever been in a relationship with someone who tries to control you? Is that fun? No. Again, they're always looking for the worst just to beat you down. But love believes the best. It believes the most generous explanation. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And so, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Sorry, I... I talked a lot today, but sorry, Carly. Um, guys, what we want, we want healthy marriages. And so throughout this series, I know this has been different. I know this has been not expounding on the word quite as much as we normally do. It's been a little more practical, but God wants healthy marriages. And Malachi, one of the reasons God says, one of the reasons the nation of Israel was cursed is because they were divorcing one another at an incredible rate. And God said, I want healthy marriages because healthy marriages produce Healthy kids who love me. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. So I'm going to ask just a couple really simple questions this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you today for everyone that's here. I thank you for marriages that are happening. I thank you for marriages that will be someday. I thank you for those who have been married in the past or maybe not now but can pour into marriages now because you've got a place for all of us. So Father, I pray for all those who are married today or all those who are in a relationship today or those who hope to be someday. Lord, would you speak to them and help us to learn how to believe the best in ourselves. And this doesn't mean we overlook enormous character flaws. It doesn't mean we overlook dangerous red flags. But it means whenever there's a gap, we're going to believe the best in our spouse, that they have the best intentions. And Lord, if there are things in our relationships right now, Lord, would you help us to see those things and to work on those things? Because Lord, we know that you desire healthy marriages, that you know that healthy marriages are the best place for us, the best place to raise healthy kids. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor Rex, you're talking about these Christian marriages, but that's not where I'm at right now. If I was to be really honest, I'm pretty far from God, but I want to make that right today. If that's you, would you slip your hand up right where you're at? We just want to pray with you right where you are. I'm not going to point you out. All right. If you're here this morning, say, you know, maybe I'm married. Maybe I want to be married someday. But I need help believing the best in my spouse. I need the help believing the best in my significant other. Or I want to learn how to believe the best for my future spouse. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up right where you're at? We're going to pray with you today. 
I just want to look for the best. I want to believe for the best. If you're here today and you say, you know, <laughs> I'm really good at assuming the worst. Maybe in my boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe in my husband or wife, maybe in my significant other, maybe even in my kids. But I want to look, I want to do better. I want to start believing the most generous explanation. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? So I'm going to pray this morning and then we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to ask you to take some time. If, if you're married and your spouse is here, would you reach over and just grab their hand and just pray? I want to believe the best in this person. I don't want to go pounce on them every time they mess up. If you're not married, pray for that future person. They may be here with you today. They may not. You may have no idea who they are, but you can pray for them now. So, Father, I just pray for all these that raise their hands today. Lord, maybe they need help believing the best in their spouse or their future spouse. Lord, would you help them to look for those things and to live out what Paul says, to keep no record of wrongs, not to hold them over them, but to believe the best and always trust. Lord, some of us are here today and we have a really great habit of pouncing on our spouse every time they, they don't meet our expectations or maybe believing the worst, being suspicious, being jealous. Lord, would you help us to put that aside and to believe the best? Lord, I just pray for every relationship that's here. Husbands and wives, fiancés, dating couples, maybe those who don't have one yet but are hoping to be someday. Lord, would you help us to be the healthiest we can be not just to have a great relationship, but Lord, but to show people what you can do in families and relationships and to show the love of Jesus to those around us, to show that we really love you by the way we treat others.